Tends to throw down the left side to fade. Lavisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder catch is made by Lavisca Chenault. Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! How do you cover that man? Between the hashes, moving left to right, loopily. Shotgun snap. Gives the inside handoff, and that thing is blowing up that time. Oh, what a play by Landman! I mean, as soon as it was handoff, Landman was right there, and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play! Takes a snap, dropping the throne. He's got time. Downfield, KD Nixon backpedaling, one-handed crab outside the 20 and the 15-yard line. Oh, what a catch by KD Nixon. Second down and eight for the 16. Coletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Lang, and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9-yard line. Terrence Lang, there's no better-looking football player. Montez Fekana turns a corner, and there he goes. 2015-10-5, touchdown! Steven Montez, holy cow, he had the fake, and he rolled out to his left, and he was so alone, it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Will 2019 bring more CU cheer than 2018 did, Tyler? It looked like a pretty promising year to, to start it out, 5-0 and start, and we all know what happened from there. I would be pretty pessimistic to say no, I guess. So <laughs> I'll go with, yeah, hopefully. This one hurt me more than previous years. Because I thought we were good. And we are, I mean, I think we were good enough to be bowl eligible, probably even better than that. You know, when you're, there are years where we watched us play and it's like, this team isn't good. You know they're not going to be good. It's frustrating to watch them play, but, you know, whatever. Like, you you knew what you were getting yourself into this year, hurting more than most because they definitely blew a lot of big opportunities. Buff Stampede Radio is once again brought to you by Everpillow by Infinite Moon. The Everpillow has been a loyal supporter of this podcast. We really appreciate that. So i got some exciting news here, Tyler. Just this past week, the Washington Post named the Everpillow the best pillow of 2018. In case you didn't know, these guys are huge Buff fans, and these amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They are fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get your pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use Go Buffs in the cart, always free delivery, and a 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us in Colorado. Perfected by you. Infinitemoon.com. I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E. Moon.com. Let's take a real quick look back at 2018. We won't spend too much time on this, Tyler. I know... Uh, CU fans are probably wanting to look ahead more than look back, but just looking at uh, you know last year, the, the top moments, the lowlights. I mean, the top moment that stands out obviously is the win at Nebraska. Definitely, <laughs> I was actually looking through my Instagram the other day and I had this photo of like you know us going crazy and made had some comment on the bottom like you know some things you'll talk to your grandkids about <laughs> to see how the season turned out from that point is pretty. Unbelievable, but yeah, I mean that whole trip was a lot of fun. Just the, the game in general, 
going back and forth a little bit, shutting up their fan base pretty early. Um, by halftime, they were back into it, obviously, because they had taken the lead of the game. And to find a way to get it done in their place was a special moment. If LaVisca Chenault doesn't injure his toe at USC, how different does the season go? Are we talking about a new coach at this point? No, probably not. Uh, but that's kind of the problem with where the program is. It shouldn't be one guy gets hurt and everything falls apart. Now, obviously, the expectations change, sure, but doesn't change the fact that you shouldn't be blowing 28-point leads to Oregon State. That loss, where does that rank in terms of humiliating moments for this program that, that, since you've been a fan? Um, I mean, in terms of, with all factors included, it's probably the worst one, but it won't be the one that everybody remembers. You know, I mean, I think Montana State will probably be the one that sticks <laughs> out in most people's memories. Um, the Hawaii one was really bad. Yeah. Um, the Toledo one, which I think people, most people don't even ever really talk about that one. That, that was the that game was, that any supporters Dan Hawkins had left, they flipped the, that night. Yeah, but I mean, if you talk about all the issues with this program is happening, most people have forgotten that that game even existed. I mean, that was embarrassing. The worst one for me, though, was Fresno. Yeah. I remember it was early on in my time at Blake Street. They decided to do this big outdoor party with a huge probably like it was like a 25 foot screen that we did viewing party outside and i mean it was 55 to seven and a half time or something like that i forget what analyst it was but when they went to the studio at halftime the analyst his analysis was come on colorado the people of colorado deserve better than this that's all he could muster up in terms of analysis of that first half yeah that was that was a video game that was a you know playing on easy and you know, just basically doing whatever they wanted to offensively. Yeah, I was having flashback. That Auburn-Purdue game, that bowl game this weekend. Yeah. It was just like, man, this used to happen to us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty depressing. Well, that's the silver lining, right, is say what you will about Mike McIntyre, but at least the program's not in that embarrassing mode. I mean, again, we talk about the Oregon State game, but that was partly disappointing because of the expectations right. that, that had been built. Yeah, not the results. I mean, even though, obviously, a game is two halves, right? So to be down 55-7 to seven at Fresno, I don't, I don't remember what the final score was, but it was gross. You know, yes, losing to Oregon State at home is embarrassing, especially with that lead, but at the end of the day, it was a close game. Extremely embarrassing, shouldn't have happened for sure, but, you know, there were periods of time where I was watching us be down by 40 at halftime of every game. Like, it's not that, you know. Well, before we depress any uh, the CU fans out there anymore, let's let's move along. Traveris Tillman is set to join the Buffalo staff as the cornerbacks coach. He'd been on the Bulldogs staff since 2016. Quality control coach for the defense last year. As a player, he was drafted out of Georgia Tech in the second round in 2000. Spent seven seasons in the NFL as a defensive back. He's from Georgia, so another coach on the Buff staff with ties to the Peach State. Currently 41 years old. Any thoughts here on on Tillman joining, uh, becoming the eighth known assistant under Mel Tucker? A little surprising. I mean, we had heard some other names associated with the potential of this position. Um, guys who are already cornerbacks coaches around the country. So I'm a little surprising. I think people are probably going to say this is a step down. Um, we have, in, especially in the last five or six years, we've had some defensive backs coaches with a lot of talent. Uh, guys who are getting big time recruits and having success on the field. So it's a little bit of a surprise. 
Um, you know, another quality control guy from Georgia, which people are going to be concerned about too. But I mean, at the end of the day, we don't really know. You know, like all we can do is read someone's resume and say, oh, this guy knows what he's doing and this guy doesn't. Um, some people are earlier in their career than others. Doesn't mean he won't be a star. Some of the hires that Colorado's made recently that have not been received all that well by the fan base. Shadon Brown comes to mind. Ross Ells even a little bit. He was not really well received. Even Quan Drake was kind of an unknown guy. Those were some of the best coaches on the staff this last year. And and vice versa, some of the coaching hires that have been well received have not panned out. So it's not good for a podcast to sit here and go, let's wait and see. But you really have to when it comes to these type of hires. I mean, at the end of the day, Mel Tucker knows a lot more about these guys than any of us do. We're just projecting, you know. Yes, it could. I'll say this. If it if the secondary struggles the next couple of years, this one's going to look particularly bad because he had two guys that have proven themselves on staff already here, uh, whether it be Shadon, whether it be Ashley Ambrose, I mean, who also has a very similar career path to what the – what Troy Tillman has, but he's got 20 years of experience under his belt, or whatever it is, 10 years, I guess is probably more realistic to say, you know, and he's had success at multiple Power 5 programs, Boise State, obviously, as well. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, definitely. I hope they give the staff in general a couple of years to figure it out, because they're definitely going to change the way we do things, but this one definitely probably earned more noise than a couple of the other ones. I think reading the message board, I'd say something about 90% of CU fans seem to be really excited about Mel Tucker at this point. After getting to learn more about his resume, his history coaching under some legendary coaches, just the way he's come off in press conferences and the things that he said in the media, uh, the one thing that has sparked the most debate is hiring so many Georgia quality control coaches, obviously Tillman, Jay Johnson, and Tyson Summers. Jay Johnson has experience as an OC, though, in the past, even at a Power 5 for a year at Minnesota, and they improved there. Uh, he wasn't retained on the current staff here, but it seemed like he did a pretty good job in his one year there. You talk to people in Fort Collins, they generally thought Tyson Summers did a pretty good job his one year there. Uh, he was a head coach at a really young age, said he learned a lot from that. I don't really have a problem. It, it looks bad on paper, I guess, but again, I always go back to quality control coaches in the SEC are different than quality yeah. control coaches in different the Pac-12. Animal. Different animal, for sure. Um, I, I was uh, on initially, the reactions to those two are pretty negative, I thought. I liked both of them right away. So I guess I'm, I have a different perspective on it. There's a lot of talk within the Georgia program about what Jay Johnson meant to that offense. I mean, their quarterback even said that he was the unsung hero of the team. Uh, that says a lot. Um, people were upset that he was leaving. Um, that usually means a lot, too. Tyson Summers is a guy who's had success in a lot of places. Yeah, he was a disaster as a head coach. But you don't get to be a head coach in your mid-30s without doing something correct. So maybe he's not a head coach. Maybe we learned that about the guy. But we didn't hire him to be the head coach. So I'm not really too concerned about that. He's had success multiple places as a defensive coordinator. I like the style of defense he runs. Obviously, he fits into the system that Mel Tucker wants to bring here because they're familiar with each other and they ran the same defense last year. So those two I liked a lot. Yeah, I mean, adding another one, it's at some point you're going to start to wonder, does Mel Tucker have enough relationships around the country? And I think that's 
a reasonable concern right now. Does he have, you know, is he going to be able to get those guys? But at the same time, he hasn't gotten to this level before. He, it's going to take him some time to create those relationships and have a coaching tree. So it's not really surprising that he wasn't able to just call up all these people around the country and be like, come coach with me. Well, you're also having to buy out Mike McIntyre. I don't know if they were in a position to really go and poach a lot of other Power 5 assistants financially. Yeah, it sounds like their coaching pool is a little bit less than McIntyre's was, so that's partially true. CU's 2019 class currently ranks 7th on 24-7 sports, but ninth on the composite. Further proof, not just because CU's ranked higher on 24-7 sports, but we really need to get rid of that com- the composite at this point. It made sense when there was Scout, Rivals, 24-7, and ESPN. Now it's just Rivals, uh, 24-7, and ESPN. And ESPN doesn't have the resources to really appropriately rank these kids and 24-7 has more analysts, I want to say something like twice as many as Rivals does. So why not just go with our own rankings at this point? I don't mind having the composite, but it shouldn't be like if you're not looking around for what 247's ranking guys, it's hard to find them. It is. It's confusing. So, yeah, I think I think if you wanted to have a button that was like switch over, this is how the composite ranking shows everybody. Great, but you're 247. You should be pimping out what you guys specifically right. feel about these prospects first. Um, so I agree that I, I don't mind that it's a tool, I guess, but it shouldn't be what everybody is seeing when they first pop onto 247's website. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the composite is, is a huge deal on these prospect profiles and you really have to work to try to find the 24 seven one. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a Colorado-Oregon battle for four-star prospect Tariq Luckett. He was the only CU commit that did not sign during the early signing period. He's a 24-7 sports four-star prospect from Southern California. Could factor in on either side of the ball at receiver or cornerback. Um, how, how high are, are you on Tariq? Uh, I mean, I think he's a little overrated, honestly. Okay. He's not a guy that I have in my top five for this class. Um I question whether his athleticism will translate to the next level. And obviously Oregon is looking at him, so if somebody disagrees with me, they mm-hmm. usually go after athletes. And I think he's certainly a guy who can play at Colorado. There's no doubt about that. But I was definitely surprised to see Oregon kind of move in on him at this point in the recruiting process. What position needs do you see? It sounds like they're going to sign about eight guys in this late signing period. Um, you know, we talked – on our periscope on the early signing period day about defensive back being a huge need. I mean, you only have one underclassman at cornerback and one early cornerback signee, only seven returning safeties, and frankly, only two that were really lauded by the previous coaching staff and one early safety signee. So I think that's got to be the main focus. Definitely safety. Cornerback, obviously, as well. We'll, They'll have to add a guy or two there. Um, Offensive line, I think they'll probably try to find someone else there if they can. Um, they just need to get bigger, and I think they're going to – at this point, they should just be taking the best guy available. I don't think you have to worry too much about a specific spot outside of the ones you mentioned. Just get better talent in here and let it all shake out. Well, the interesting position is quarterback. What do you do at this point? Do you try to scour the country, and then if you fall in love with the quarterback, you take him, but if you don't, then you just have that as a selling point for 2020? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I – Quarterback's not a position where you can be wrong. You only take one kid a year usually. So if there's not a guy out there that you like, just don't take anybody, I think. 
Uh, you can look at the transfer market maybe if you really wanted to, but I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't find the right fit, you know, in one year. Um, you know, that's, that's, I think, the main concern is don't reach and waste a scholarship. What about Aiden Adkinson? He's already made a verbal commitment, the Boulder Fairview kid for 2020. Do you make a run at him? Were, were you pretty high on him? Yeah, he's a big-time prospect. Uh, Northwestern, you know, obviously he's a smart kid, too. He's going to go to Northwestern, so that it might be a tough pull. But, yeah, I mean, I think you have to go after him hard and see what shakes out. Worst-case scenario is he says no, and you go find somebody else. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Moose4551 asked, Hope you all had a great holiday. Adam, after sitting down with Coach Tuck, what kind of general feel did you get from him doing that interview? Not wanting to compare him to the man previous to him, just looking for what your impression of him was with your first one-on-one. I would say the main thing that stood out is Mel Tucker knows who he is. He's not going to put on an act for anybody. He is comfortable in his own skin, and he has a pretty clear direction for what he wants his program to be, and he's really not going to waver from that. Uh, We talked about this, I think, again, on our Periscope, just speaks softly, but is very deliberate with with the words that he's using. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had limited experience with him as well, but I would say basically the exact same thing. Not a dude in the country more comfortable with himself than Mel Tucker. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure they'll, you know, once adversity hits, there'll be positives and negatives, that for sure. But, I mean, my per- me personally, I appreciate that. You know, you, you know what you're getting out of a guy. And that, I think it's much easier to trust and have respect for somebody who is, you know, transparent in that way. I've actually got a few more articles coming from that interview. So look for that on the site in the coming days. Louisville Buff asked, go through the assistant coaching positions and evaluate whether the new assistant coaching hires are in your viewpoint and upgrade over the pre- previous assistant coaches they are replacing. For example, previous D coordinator versus new D coordinator, previous cornerbacks coach versus new cornerbacks coach, etc. I'm curious since, in my opinion, except for the offensive coordinator, offensive line, and tight ends coaches, the previous staff was actually a decent staff for what we spend on assistant coaches. It's funny, he's already saying the tight ends coach is an upgrade and we don't even know who that is yet. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue. <laughs> so I would pretty much say the same thing about offensive coordinator, too. Like, it couldn't have gotten much worse than last year. So uh, I feel pretty good about that. I think Jay Johnson is a guy who will fit into what we're trying to do here. I think he's going to surprise some people with what he brings to the table. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in that case, I would say he's a pretty clear upgrade for me. Um, offensive line, definitely an upgrade. Have to say that as well. Everything else, this is going to sound lame, but I think is kind of wait and see. Yeah. Jimmy Brumbaugh does have some pressure on him because Quan Drake was yeah. so well received his first year, yeah, his Quan only Drake. year here. Yes, Quan Drake did a great job here. So I, I think that's going to be a tougher one to get to that level, but he obviously has the experience. Um, secondary wise, <clears throat> I think that's going to be a tougher sell. I mean, you know, he's he's got the biggest uphill battle, I think, to prove that he's an improvement over last year's staff. and the rest of the stuff we still are waiting to fill out a little bit, but. All right. Do, do we answer that question enough, Tyler? Yes. Oh, we forgot defensive coordinator. I thought Elliot was a little bit of an, um, he was underrated. Mm-hmm. I think not a guy who, per, you know, personality wise is going to make you wow. You're, you know, you know <laughs> he's not exactly fun to talk to, but I thought with the results on the field and given the injuries and what he walked into, I thought he was largely pretty successful here. 
Uh, Tyson Summers, I think, has a chance to match that, though, for sure. If you could get the same level of production out of what DJ Elliott brought, that would be a good start. PA Buff asked, which of the new coaches who have been hired are on multi-year contracts? And also asked, what is the latest information on press slash fan access to spring practices? With the multi-year contracts, my guess is that the assistants will be on two-year deals, coordinators on three-year deals. That's been kind of the standard. Well, I can't, I mean, it's, it's a new law that came in yeah. with these multi-year contracts, but uh, that's what they did with the last half. I'd be surprised if they didn't do that again. And that's something that will become public knowledge once they go to the regents and propose it and get it, try to get it approved. Yeah, and this year, obviously, we had a couple guys leave those contracts early, but found other jobs, so... That worked out nicely for us. In terms of press slash fan access to spring practices, I'm not not optimistic. I don't know how much of that is on Mel Tucker, though. Had somebody in the athletic department say the days of open practices might be over and kind of pointing to other colleges that do that and heard a comment that, well, you guys just want to get in there to see who's getting yelled at anyways, which is literally the furthest thing from the truth. I remember when they had open practices, Akella Witherspoon would get reamed on a daily basis, partly because Mike McIntyre saw the potential in him. We never reported on that. That's just, that doesn't really add a whole lot to your coverage. You want to see who's performing well so you can do better at your job. Yeah, the only thing that, it only matters to me because I hate having to make statements to thousands of people like I know what I'm talking about when I haven't even had a chance to watch them play. Yeah. It's really that simple. I mean, if I'm going to make a statement on what I think about something, I'd like to have been able to actually have an opinion, like seen them live. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with being wrong if I saw the product out there and it turned out differently. But just having to guess is frustrating because there's, you know, who, who am I to say this is what's happening? I have no idea. Yeah, and, and from my standpoint with interviews, if I see Makai Blackman get four picks in a day, I can go to the secondary's coach and talk to him about the emergence of this newcomer, and you you can't do that on if you're on the other side of that that fence. Yeah. So, but again, this isn't just a CU thing. A lot of colleges programs are doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, it it is what it is, I guess. Fenty two asked. What are your personal feelings on McIntyre, how he treated you, and why you think he wasn't successful? What are your initial thoughts on Tucker and how he compares to McIntyre? Real quick, it's not that he wasn't successful in my opinion. I think we've talked about this, Tyler. It's that he wasn't able to take it from building a good infrastructure, catching lightning in a bottle in 16, and building on that. That's yeah. where the failure came in, yeah, but he was, in my opinion, was a successful coach. And I don't know how many coaches would have inherited what he inherited and won 10 games at some point in the last yeah, six not, years. Not very many. I, I definitely feel confident in that. Um, I think he was mostly successful here. I think he was afraid to take the necessary risk that it took to bring this program back to its full potential. That's what I would say about him in the shortest possible way. Um <clears throat> In terms of how he treated me, a little hit or miss, I guess. He never treated me poorly, I, I, I wouldn't say that. But he, if he if he gives you that attention, he's a nice guy. He's funny. He's, you know, he'll yeah. crack jokes with you and all that kind of stuff. But there's also times where he would see me around and just not say anything, you know, which is okay. I mean, obviously, he's a busy guy. But, I mean, he definitely wasn't as outgoing as some of the other guys on the staff in terms of seeing people around town and just saying hi or whatever. Early in his tenure, 
and this is probably pretty natural with, with coaches. Um, he would do a lot more one-on-one meetings with you and sit down and, and you kind of catch up. And, and again, that kind of helps you do your job a little bit when you have that ability to kind of bounce things off each other. Yeah, after 16, I don't know if it was all the National Coach of the Year awards. And, and again, it was never mistreating anybody. It just wasn't quite as open as it was early right. on. But uh, he's a good man. I mean, I certainly want to see him do well at yeah. Ole Miss. Hopefully, for CU's sake, they can negotiate that $10 million down a little bit because that's a little – it's not – shady is not the right word, but I don't know. that That's a bummer that he's going to make that much money and CU's potentially going to have to owe him the bulk of that $10 million. Yeah. All right, let's move along. L.E. Buff asked, how many players do you think will be gone after sp- – the spring semester. We know that attrition always happens with coaching changes. I don't get the sense Mel Tucker is going to be actively trying to run off a ton of guys, though. I would say like three or four, just because I feel like that's how it always happens. There's always a couple guys that move on, but it's not going to be a mass exodus, that's for sure. So they're at 83 scholarships right now. If they sign eight more, you're going to have to have some attrition. And again, it like you said, it naturally always happens. And it's not necessarily always going to be just that players don't like the new coach. That happens literally every offseason. You're dealing yeah. with... Guys realize they're not going to play. Or something happens back home. Yeah, or Injuries. Yeah. You know, it seems like we've had at least one or two guys medically retire every year. So I said five-ish. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to, they're going to need that from a number standpoint. Truffle sauce asked real quick, a truffle oil I've heard of. Is there a truffle sauce that I'm not aware of? Cause truffle oil is pretty amazing. Yeah. We have to look into this. It's the sauce. All right. This is, a, I bet this is a millennial. Okay. All right. See young people dealing with an old guy here. I don't, I don't know the lingo. He asked, do you think we will be able to successfully recruit nationally versus primarily Texas slash California slash Colorado? I know that improving Texas and California pipelines is important for us. Given the higher so far in recent offers, that doesn't seem to be the primary focus. I hope that putting our resources in other states besides those doesn't come back to bite us. Thanks for everything y'all do. Want to have the first crack on this one, Tyler? Um, yeah, I think we can have success, especially in the Midwest. I think that's the one place that we're making an effort in that we haven't in the past that we can definitely find some ground. Um, I actually think we're probably going to lose a little bit of luster in Texas with this new staff, if I had to guess. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. Um, right now we have no guys in Texas in our class, right? Correct. Cameron Johnson might come back on board. Yeah. I'd be surprised if one of those eight guys isn't from Texas, but yeah, right. it's going to be I mean, a... But still, I mean, it's, we can't say it's our recruiting hotbed if we end up with one kid. 4% yeah. of our kids yeah. from yeah. Texas, you know? So... We'll see how that goes moving forward. I, th- I think that that concerns me a little bit. I will say I, I'm a little concerned about focusing so much on this South. Now, obviously, we have connections in Georgia, so that helps. And Georgia's a little bit more of an easy transition to Colorado than some of the other places down in the South. But we haven't had a ton of success with guys from the South staying here, um, whether it be getting in trouble or just not acclimating to the culture here, that kind of stuff. That, I think, is a little bit more of a risk. But uh, I do think recruiting on a more national level in the way that Stanford does, um, I think that's smart because Colorado is a place that people from all over the country are familiar with and want to be around. 
So I think you can have some success in some of those states we haven't recruited in, in the past 25 years. Black and Gold Josh asked, any word from coaches in the high schools or the competition on the road in the Pac-12, how the new staff is being received? Is there a difference compared to Mike McIntyre, or is it too early to tell? I think too early to tell. You're talking about one week where Mel Tucker was on the road. Most of these coaches were not out on the road at all. They were, some of them, part of the official visit weekend they had before the early signing period, but there's no returns on that yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I don't trust anybody after a week of knowing them. So... (laughs) You know, it takes more time to build these relationships with guys. You got to remember, he's from a different part of the country. Where he's recruiting outside of Georgia at this point, they don't know who he is. They've never met him. He's probably never recruited 99% of the high schools he's going to be in over the next two months. So it's going to take time, and that's fine. I mean, you can't be expected to walk in and all of a sudden have everybody love you. That's not how the world works. So I think that. Change is good, and people always like to see new faces, and people recruit differently, and you know some people respond to this and not to this. So from that perspective, you, I feel like everyone gives you a fair shot, which is nice because obviously there are some schools and relationships that sour over time with coaches as well. So you're going to be able to get back into those places, and how are you going to do things differently? But, yeah, I mean, it would be unfair to say that he compares favorably to what McIntyre has done so far. Ugly Rat asked, there is a perception that Tucker is offering more highly touted recruits for 2020 than previous staffs did. Is that a correct perception? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think they're shooting a little bit higher. It's not to say Mike McIntyre didn't offer blue chip recruits, though. Yeah, I mean, he definitely did. I think, I don't know, this stuff is more and more publicized every year. You know, like kids are... And earlier and earlier every year. Yeah, so I think you're just getting a little bit more of a, you know, you just you just have more and more information more than anything else. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's going a little bit higher. But any new coach is going to do that. I mean, you, you'll find your sweet spot, obviously, at some point. But, yeah, I mean, not, this is a first-time head coach. He's not going to sell himself short for anybody at this point in the process. So, yeah, you're probably going to see a lot of that moving forward. I don't think that guarantees success. I mean, I hope that it does, but we'll have to see how it plays out. We'll answer this. I mean, the next question is how long is it? Yeah. Well, to play off that, it sounds crazy to say strike while the iron's hot when you're zero and zero as a coach. Right. But you don't have any losses as a coach either, right? So there's that excitement that you can sell. Yeah. And I mean, he's the type of guy that's going to excite some people. I mean, not by like his personality, I guess, is how I describe it, but just. But who he is. He's, he's a football guy. You know, people who play football are going to fully understand where this dude's coming from. Yeah. Movie Buff asked, why doesn't CU offer all five-star recruits? Is there a downside to giving out a bunch of offers to high-profile recruits? So there are only about, I want to say, 30 five-star recruits nationally. Yeah. You're lucky if you get one if you're Colorado. You're, you're very lucky if you get one. Yeah. It's, I think his question more falls in line with four-star recruits, I would imagine. Well, I think he, I think he's just saying like, what do you have to lose? Um, my answer to that would be time. You know, mo- you know, time is money. So if if you are just offering these guys, and one of them all of a sudden is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Cool, you 
chase that down. But you also have to be realistic in that you can't spend half your time recruiting five stars because I don't care if Mel Tucker's here. Colorado is not bringing in five stars until they start winning football games and doing it for decades in a row. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you're just going to offer those guys and see if, you know, some for some reason they have interest back, um, sure, that's fine. That doesn't take up a whole lot of your day. But if you're going to – if your strategy is – we're only offering five stars, and if we don't get all those guys, this is a failure, you're going to fail. The other tricky part there, too, is if you're not vetting these kids, let's be honest, some blue chip recruits have a prima donna quality to them because they get loved up. Yeah. And so if you aren't making sure that these are also the right type of leaders and guys that are going to do the right thing in your program, you're going to have a toxic program really quick. Yeah, and I also say, not to say that this happens everywhere and with everybody, but... The guys in the news that you see talking about they got paid in college weren't three stars. So <laughs> you better come with the paper if, you know, because some of these five stars, that's just the reality of the situation. Bill Callahan, when he was at Nebraska, actually drew a lot of criticism for the fact that he would do kind of follow along this theory of just offering all these blue chip guys. And they had really highly ranked classes. And a lot of these kids were knuckleheads when they got there. So it definitely can backfire for you if you're not careful with who you're bringing into your program, into your locker room. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about Nebraska. You can say that about us, too. The best class that we've had in recent memory, 2007, extremely highly recruited and ended up being a good class, but not for the reasons that you would expect. You know, the highly ranked guys in that class, Len Katoa, didn't work out very well. Daryl Scott did not work out very well. Bryce Givens. Bryce Givens, yeah, did not work out very well. So that you know, that it's happened to us too. Dorn09 asked, seems like a dual threat quarterback is what the staff prefers judging by the offers that have went out recently. If that's the case, does Neuer, Stenstrom, or Lytle have a future with the program as a starter? I don't think they're zeroed in on dual threat quarterbacks. I don't think they are either, but <clears throat> I would also say all three of these guys are capable of running. I mean, I wouldn't say that they're going to have 100-yard rush. Well, Neuer and Stenstrom are more so than Lytle. Right. I mean, <laughs> they can gain a few necessary yards. It's not like they're statues. Lytle a little bit, I guess, but he's not that bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, no, you don't have Khalil Tate, obviously. But <laughs> I don't think these guys really are too far outside of what he's trying to do long-term. Neuer is one of the more perplexing players that has come through this program. He's... Got a lot of the tools, the confidence, the moxie that you want to see. But it's been ugly when he's been out there. And, and I understand it's never been a great situation to come into. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it has been. Yes, it's you're right that it's tough to come in in these situations. But you're also right that it's been really bad. If you watch him in practice, you'd be impressed. He's got a lot of zip on the ball. He can move around in the pocket. Uh, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Fairly accurate ball. But, yeah, I mean, it's been... Pretty brutal when he's been out on the field. And those are the results that you have to... I mean, I've played with a lot of basketball kids that were studs in practice. You put them out on the court and they couldn't do a damn thing right. I mean, that's there's just some people that they get in the spotlight and it just doesn't come together anymore. But, um, yeah, he, if you were able to see both sides of Sam Neuer, it's definitely an interesting case. Forever Buff had three questions. Number one... Comments made by Tucker lead me to believe our offense will final, finally prioritize the tight end again. What other changes can we anticipate? Emphasis on a dual threat quarterback, fullback sets, 
do our recruiting targets for February reflect any of this? Let's start out with that one. I do expect them to be a little bit more multiple than they were last year. I mean, they definitely had different sets with the Chevrini, uh yeah. led offense, but I expect to see a little bit more variety in there. I mean, we're definitely going to use the tight end more. He's made that pretty clear. Now, it might take some time because we don't have one, obviously, that he loves since we're bringing Well, Jalen Harris. Well, right, but he's a grad transfer, right? So in terms of pipeline, right. we obviously don't have the guys that he's comfortable with, and that's a one-year plug-and-play. So they're going to have to find other guys long-term. Jared Poplowski coming back, Brady Russell, he was capable in that I, role. I believe that they're capable, but if you're bringing in a grad transfer at a position, I'm not sure he necessarily buys that. We'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to use them more for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what else is going to change about the offense, probably a lot um, because he's trying to bring in a different mindset, how we do things. Uh, I, I think there's it's kind of interesting because people are like, oh, the SEC ground and pound. That's not really true anymore. There's a lot of four wide, and they run the spread a little bit too, and quick passes and that kind of stuff. They do all those things that we already do. They just do it with linemen that hurt you, and I think that's going to be the major difference. He asked if our recruiting targets for February reflect any of this. I haven't seen an offer where I go, oh, wow, that's going to be a massive change to the offense. Now, the Jalen Harris thing was clearly because the reason he left Auburn is because they weren't throwing to the tight end. So that had to be their selling because there were a lot of other programs that wanted Jalen Harris to transfer there. He definitely heard you're going to get the ball if you come here on his official visit. Yeah, well, we'll see how it plays out. And his last question, spring game, will it be a game? Any word on effort to improve in attendance? Haven't had had any word there. I know you're excited about the fact that the spring game or showcase (laughs) or whatever it is is not on St. Patrick's Day this year. One of the stupidest things. The previous staff did. Like, it's unbelievable. I don't care if you drank or whatever. You don't have to be, like, the craziest party animal ever. Go to Denver in St. Patrick's Day Parade weekend and tell me that's not where 90% of the state is. Like, why would you directly compete with that? It just doesn't make sense. Whether it's that or the one weekend of the uh, March Madness. Uh, I think one year we did it opening weekend, like, the first four days of the tournament. Like, what are you guys doing? People like this stuff. Like, it, just because people watch football doesn't mean they don't watch college basketball. Like, you don't want to compete with March Madness. You're not going to win that battle if, if people like both. So yeah, that did make a ton of sense. Uh, you did miss question two. Oh, my bad. Yeah. So Any info yet regarding youth slash high school camps at CU this summer? Nope, not yet. I did see somewhere on Twitter. I'll have to find it. They did accept an invite to a camp. I think it was in Northern California. Oh, okay. I did miss that. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll try to find it. I saw it. It was a couple weeks ago now, so it, it might have even been previous staff. I don't think it was, though. I'll find it, and I'll tweet it and send it to you. So we- that, that is a good question, though. I'm curious to see how this staff will attack the whole satellite camp yeah. circuit and, and what their philosophy will be with that. Yeah, I was talking to my brother, going back to the spring game for a second. Sorry, ours is so late, and he's like, damn, I've never seen spring ball go that late. So they're going to go pretty much directly from spring ball into those summer camps. So a little bit of gap in between, but not too much. It'll be interesting to see how they attack that because the SEC is usually pretty aggressive in terms of who they're trying to get out to their camps. I, I think you'll see more top-end talent at those camps that are in Boulder than you've seen in years past. Okay. 
Buff in Vegas asked, do you think there was this much excitement after any of the previous football head coaching changes you have covered? And do you expect Coach Tucker to be more open with the media than Mike McIntyre, starting with opening up practices to the media, media, media at the minimum? Um, we kind of talked about the fact I, I have a bad feeling about uh, practices being closed going forward still. Um, we'd be more open with the media. Mike McIntyre was actually really good with us this last year. Um, really made an effort to try to answer our questions in those post-practice scrums. I think Mel Tucker, he told me that he's all for helping people do their job. So he said his plan is to really have clear-cut points that he gives in the media every day. But there's also stuff that he's going to want to keep quiet. At the early signing period press conference, I asked him about whether they're going to try to sign a 2019 quarterback, and he quickly deflected it to say, we're just going to bring the best guys in. So there's certain things he's just not going to answer, which is his prerogative in his position. Um, in terms of the excitement, there's definitely more excitement with this hire than there was when McIntyre was hired. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And people were even further down on this program at that point, too. Right. They were literally the worst program in the country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a lot of progress that needed to be made to even care enough to make. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they made a lot of progress and still weren't very good for a long time at, at Colorado when McIntyre was there. So I, I think people are excited now because they appreciate what McIntyre was able to do and know that we're not so far off. And they like the mindset that <coughs> Mel Tucker's brought here that this is our time why not us there are no excuses we're right there we, it can be us too so I, I think people just see the trajectory he's going to take that well at least we hope so he's going to take that necessary risk to get us where we need to go there was quite a bit of excitement with the Embry hire but unfortunately a lot of that was misplaced excitement it was excitement over the fact that so many buffs were coming back to Boulder I wasn't that excited about it. You weren't? Okay. Well, he didn't have the experience even as a coordinator in college. I do remember people pointing that out yeah. with some quite a bit of concern. I would describe it as it was very high risk, high reward. If it had worked out, even, and I still believe this, if it had worked out, it would have been epic. You know? Because it would have been a lot of CU guys bringing back the 90s. Like, it would have been a party if that staff found a way to get there. But that was a pipe dream. And I kind of felt that way from the beginning. There was a lot of excitement with Dan Hawkins. That was him being a pretty good used car salesman, though. In hindsight, yeah. His, thing, yeah. You know, if I, if I was in the moment of all these new coaching hires, there's optimism because what else do you have? I mean, you expect things to get better. And then everybody looks back after it failed and they're like, oh, this is this is how it went and used car salesman stuff. And, you know, yeah, it's like, it's true. When things go bad... They usually go bad, you know, like you, you start to find reasons why you don't like a person and oh, they failed. So they never had a chance to begin with. And that's just human nature to look back and, you know, react that way. It's, it's like relationships, too, you know, right? Like it, it's a honeymoon stage and everything is perfect until it wasn't. And then everything about them sucked, from the beginning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's just life. But, you know, all these guys, the excitement, it makes sense, obviously, because, you know, it. it it's changeable breed. We knew with McIntyre that it wasn't going to be what we wanted at this point. And we don't know that with Mel Tucker yet. There's a, there's the potential that we could get there, you know? 
but you should enjoy the honeymoon period. Otherwise, what's the point of living, right? Oh, absolutely, you should. And you know, if if he is the guy that we think that that honeymoon period will be long, and and that's what you're looking for, but you just never know. A reminder that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Everpillow by Infinite Moon. It isn't just Buff Stampede Radio that's lauding the Everpillow. The Washington Post ran an article on its top 13 household products they saw in 2018, and the Everpillow was included. My daughter, fiance, and I are all huge fans of the Everpillow, so whether it's a big-time newspaper or my family telling you, that's, this is a horrible ad read, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we both have fiancés now. That's cool. It is, but... Back to the Everpill, it really is a great product. It's a company that's run by huge Buff fans, and, and these amazing, amazing pillows are made right here in, in the Centennial State. They're customizable to match your sleep style. A lot of those so-called luxury pillows use chemicals, memory foams, and cheap polyfoams. Not the Everpillow. Support a Colorado company that loves the Buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at Infinite Moon and use Go Buffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you, infinitemoon.com. GoBuffs80 asked, Tyler, have you ever thought of being a fan of CU Cross Country? They seem to win more than basketball and football. It might make you happier. LOL. Not they seem to win more. They definitely yeah, win more. Like they definitely win more. Um, I, was, I hate running. <laughs> so... You got you got a lot of body to move around, yeah. so I can see why. I didn't always though. I was skinny when I played basketball, and I hated it then too. So okay. I can't blame being fat. <laughs> was, I never loved it to begin with. That's how I got. I wasn't skinny. I wasn't saying you're fat, Tyler. Just I, that you're a I, big human being. I was, I was saying, <laughs> fine. but I, I can say that I don't like running a whole lot. So maybe I'm just cranky. Go buff Sadie. Maybe maybe that's my problem. Although you have to admit that growing up a Cleveland sports fan and a CU fan probably isn't recommended by most people that's why you enjoy the celebration over the Cavs championship so much yeah. right yeah it, I, and I've talked about this a bunch it actually almost it ruined me a little bit now though, because now it's just like I don't need to go through this anymore I got one I don't need to have all this heartache and anxiety <laughs> Colorado rules asked how are the CU ski teams expected to do this season okay just kidding I didn't get a sense of schematic changes on offense from the pressers other than to use the tight end and run the ball more. What are your thoughts on how the offense might look different in 2019 and how that might affect the current roster of players? A little bit similar to a question we got earlier. Um, I think your hope is less three and outs. That, that would be a good start. That's not necessarily a specific scheme thing, but uh, I don't envision this offense at least you, you got to hope that it doesn't leave, you know put the defense out to dry as much as the 2018 version did yeah I and mean, i think the only scheme change is that you our goal is to be more physical than the person lined up across from you on every single play previously our goal was to be more athletic than everybody across from you so that's a big change in philosophy um, but it's the smart one for football you look at these teams that play in the college football playoff every year, there's no dancing around, no horizontal play calling. Okay, The teams that are the most physical and have the most talent win. That's period. I mean, <laughs> yes, Clemson and Alabama can play vertical and you know run side to side and do reverses and all that kind of stuff, but that's because all the boys in the middle – are physically dominating. 
and you have to account for that. You can't just be halfway there. So to, to start, you have to be a physically dominant football team if you want to get to that level. It's really that simple. Doug5374 asked, Adam, I have a request for you to ask the folks in the AD's office. We're the Buffaloes, and I want to hear the Buffalo stampede. On game day and right before Ralphie comes out to make her run, have the video folks put together a short film of a buffalo herd running across the open plains. They could use maybe, they could maybe borrow from the movie Dances with Wolves, make it loud and long. In the movie, one of the Indians heard the roar and noise of the buffaloes and said, Tonker, have other animals get out of the way. Think I'm ready for game day. Go Buffs. Okay, so I've privately complained about this for years. Cartman doesn't do it for you? No, dude, it's awful. <laughs> it's one of the best traditions in all football. And the, the music leading up to it, not good. The videos, not good. Like, they don't they don't try to involve the fan base at all. You know, like, people don't really realize it's happening until it's happening. You know, they do the countdown. But it's like, if you had an iconic song to lead up to that, people would be in the stadium earlier. And that could be a really intimidating pre-game moment. But, yeah, right now it's awful it really is like I, i've said that and people around me could you know repeat that i've said that many times and i'll say the same thing the the, the basketball video this year the pregame basketball video is terrible like it's the worst one i've ever seen so they need to do some work on that kind of stuff i agree that the lead up to ralphie needs to be revamped yeah I don't share your optimism that any type of revamp is actually no, going to get people in there earlier. Oh no, it would. It would. If it you think so, really? Yes, hundred percent. Like if it was, if it was like Enter Sandman. No, obviously they've been good for a long time. But if it was like a legitimately got your blood pumping moment, people would start. Doing okay. It. Yeah, I hundred percent believe that. All right. Movie Buff asked, "What's your New Year's resolution? Do you have one of those, Tyler?" Uh, work less. That's really what I need. Care less about sports. Right, I already signed that one. <laughs> I haven't signed up for it yet, but I'm thinking about running a marathon in May. I definitely will not be running a marathon. Sorry, everyone. I don't know if this is the right decision, but I'm going to turn 40 in October, and I figure if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. Well, so. there's no doubt about that. You Are you still running? I mean, there was a period where you were doing like 5K every day, right? Yeah, uh, it, off and on, football season kind of makes it tough. So I've gotten back into the gym here recently. I'm about 200 pounds. I want to think if I'm going to do that, 185 is a good weight because yeah. a lot of that, obviously running 26 miles puts a lot of pressure on your joints. It's not obvious for me. I mean, it wouldn't put any pressure on my joints because I'd be dead after three miles. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, is, as much as I enjoy running, if I run a marathon, that's it. Bucket list checked off. It's never happening again. I can see, yeah, that'd be like full retire. (laughs) That's the last time my feet go faster than walking pace ever. I'm going to take off my running shoes and just put them in the trash can and say, it was good knowing you. That'd be a good way to go. (laughs) Buck and Fuffalo asked, many recent threads have discussed the men's basketball team and whether or not it's in a downward, downward spiral. Your thoughts on the program, trending upward, downward, and why? And Durs asked, what is wrong with our basketball team, and how do we fix it? Thanks. Love the podcast. I don't think anyone said that they're in a downward spiral. I think people have said that we're stuck in the mud, which is true. I mean, I can no longer argue against that fact. It's been a while since we've been a tournament team um, or 
I guess one one year we were kind of in the bubble picture for a little bit. But for the most part, it hasn't. There ha- we haven't really flirted with the tournament in the last few years. So I can no longer argue against that. I think that the real crux of the argument, though, is do you make the change? I mean, yes, we're we've been stuck in that point, and yes, I think we're capable of being a tournament team on occasion. But if you replace Tad, who do you do it with? Given the history of this program, I mean, he's been more successful in 10 years than the program was for the entirety of his ex- existence before that. So you have to keep in mind that it's, there's you could go back to being Ricardo Patton. You have to keep that in mind, too. William Whalen's had some good posts on the message board regarding this program, and he's pointed out that, that next year is a year where if they don't win, that's when you really start to question Tad Boyle. Are, are you in that same yeah, boat? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the last. If, if that team has got everything that you need, assuming they stay healthy, obviously. I mean, having Dallas back into the fold, there's no excuse for that team, especially in this league right now, to not make the turn. So people are going to ask for him to be removed earlier than that. Um I get that because obviously you want instant gratification for all things. That's just the world we live in now. Um, and it's been frustrating. There's no excuse to lose back-to-back games to Indiana State and Hawaii. That should not happen with as talented as this team is. Um, so I get the frustration. But it, I think it would be a mistake to pull the plug right before you get to that point. It's do or die for him next year. So why would you pull the plug the year before that? I think that would be a weird move. But yeah, I, I do agree. I think if he fi- if if they find a way to disappoint again next year, he's going to be in some trouble, and I think it'll be warranted too. There was some debate over because of the fact that Tad Boyle's contract kind of rolls over automatically every every year, unless Rick George steps up and says we're not going to do that. That's a tricky, delicate situation too. As an AD, you have to give all of your support until you don't give your support, right? It, it is a tricky situation, but I think Tad's got under. I mean, he he knows. He's pretty honest with himself, too. I think he knows you can't go five or six years without making the tournament and not have consequences. You know, like, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get fired, but I think he would understand, like, yeah, I haven't proven anything. I need to go out there and prove something. He's he's not – he doesn't have that type of personality. I don't think he would see him come out and be like, oh, they didn't extend me. Well, okay, I'll show you. You know what I mean? Like, he he's – the most honest. I think he would understand it if that was a decision that got made. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. We've uh, already run pretty long with this show. But just looking back to the disastrous trip to Hawaii, losses to Indiana State in Hawaii before they beat Charlotte, a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointing was that trip out to the Aloha State? 10. I mean, simple, really. I mean, we, we've, I've had that big, long tweet thread about what we need to do over the next 10 games to keep ourselves in the picture. The Pac-12 is bad. And, yeah, that might mean we finish third in the league, but that doesn't matter if you don't beat anybody good enough. You don't make the tournament by beating a bunch of teams that are awful. So they had an opportunity to win a couple games away from home against decent, definitely not awful teams, uh, and they blew them. Not only did they do that, they could have played TCU in the championship game. Instead, they had to play a team ranked 300 in Ken Palm in Charlotte. Totally destructed their non-conference rate the schedule. Ruined pretty much, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll go on a crazy run. I don't think that's likely, but 
they pretty much detonated their at-large berth chances because now they just don't have enough big-time winnable games, especially with how bad the rest of the Pac-12 is playing. It, it was disastrous. Do you have any faith this team will bounce back in Pac-12 play? What's your definition of bounce back? Finish above 500 yeah. conference? Yeah, they should do that. But I don't think that matters. They're going to have to go probably 12-6 and six to even consider being an NCAA tournament team at this point. I, I think they'll make the MIT. I think they're honestly. I think I'm frustrated because I think they are a pretty decent team. That's better than most of the teams in the Pac-12. And I don't know if they're a tournament team, but that's that's based more on what their resume would show than anything. They didn't play enough good teams. You know, that's just the reality. But I think talent-wise, they're right there, and that's why that result in Hawaii is so frustrating. I was going to ask you to do your Pac-12 power rankings as conference play is set to begin, but that's kind of cruel to make you run down a list of 12 Pac-12 men's basketball programs at this point. It, but it's going to be gross. <laughs> and I'm not ranking anybody ahead give, of fourth. Give me whatever teams, and it's going to be a few amount, have any chance in the Pac-12 go, of going to the big dance this year. That's of a chance? Uh, like 1% or like a legitimate? A legitimate chance. Okay, so Arizona State is going to be the first one. Mm-hmm. That lost to Princeton last night was dumb. But they also beat Kansas, so Kansas Kansas might not want to schedule the Sun Devils again going forward. Yeah, two in a row. That's pretty surprising for sure. Um, they have they're in pretty good shape. They would have to collapse like last year to not get in. Their their non conference last year was better than this year. I just don't. And as bad as the Pac twelve is, I just can't see it. They went eight and ten, I think, last year in conference play. I can't see that happening because they're clearly the best team in the Pac twelve right now um oregon which will probably surprise some people a little bit because they've looked gross but their resume is not disastrous right now um and i think defensively they're going to keep themselves in every single game because they're that special on that side of the ball 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 is out right now if they get him back i could see them going on a pretty solid run down the stretch of the pac-12 conference play um arizona has probably an outside chance at this point. We'll see how they come together. People are higher on them than I am. I, I think they're a pretender. I think I still don't think they're going to finish in the top three in the Pac-12. We'll see. Um, Washington, I think, has actually a pretty good chance. Their resume is better than people think. Um, but they're, they've been disappointing for sure as well. They, they had a, four opportunities to win games against tournament teams and lost them all. Their schedule is tough, so that if you're on the bubble, that's always nice. People want to see that you played tough teams. Now, at some point, you got to beat them, so they're going to have to <coughs> play well in conference play to get in. Probably, I think they're probably going to have to win at least 11 to 12 games in conference play to get in. Those are the four that I think have a prayer. Probably a two-bid conference at this point. Yeah, I think someone should go behind the scenes and make sure ASU doesn't win the Pac-12 tournament. Guarantee yourselves two teams. I'm, I'm serious. That's how desperate and horrible this league is. Well, the recruiting dead period will be over after January 10th, and we'll have a lot more recruiting news leading up to that regular signing period. And before you know it, spring football practices will be getting underway. Thanks for tuning into the show. We'll be sure to come back with a new Buff Stampede Radio soon.